Hey everybody, this is Flavio Romeo, and this is episode 21 of the Towncast. Before we get into the episode, I just want to remind you, this is the last week that we're going to be able to accept images and names of, of uh, loved ones who served in the military and have since passed, because we are putting together our Memorial Day video, and I do want to make sure to include everybody. So if you know people uh, that had relatives or loved ones that, that served in the military and have died, uh, please let them know. Send it to Memorial Day at thetowncast.com. And uh, we're going to be releasing that on Memorial Day. All right, so this next episode, uh, it's, it's such a great guest. Her name is Dr. Brianna Fowles. She runs a medical practice called Oak Hills Medical. And the awesome thing about it is that she makes house calls. She's a, a family medical physician, and, and she makes house calls. She specializes in, in culinary medicine as well, which I had never heard of. Uh, to me, culinary medicine was a nice plate of pasta with a little side of homemade bread. Uh, but she, uh, she talks all about that. And, and what, a, what a great idea to bring that hometown feel back into medicine. All right, enjoy the episode, everybody. Again, we're at Merv's in Glenrock. Uh, I had Virginia Lincoln here last week. I hope you had a chance to listen to her. She was the president of the, uh, the Coral Society, New Jersey Coral Society, uh, Glenrock resident. And uh, today we have a former Glenrock resident, graduated Glenrock High School. Shout out to class of 2004. Uh, and her name is Brianna Foles. Uh, you might have seen her on social media uh, under her uh, under Brianna Nicole. So I'm going to let her go all that go through all that. Brianna, thank you so. Doctor, I'm sorry, Doctor Brianna, I'm so sorry. Uh, thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me today. And, and I tell you, the whole reason why I reached out to you is because I, I saw you had posted on Facebook that you know you were starting this new practice, and, we're, and I'll get into all that. Mm-hmm. And that you actually make house calls, which, I mean, that that brought me straight back to when I was like seven years old. <laughs> and my mother would call and say, I don't know what's wrong with my son, come over. And he'd come over and say, he has a cold. Absolutely. Um, so that's what I'm trying to do with Oak Hills Medical, is I'm trying to bring back that old-fashioned small-town doctor who knows my patients really well, who comes to their house when needed, um, but also, you know, tie in modern conveniences. Of you can also text me, call me, email me, um, and if needed, I swing by your house. Now, how many, first of all, guys, how many doctors do you know that give you their cell phone number that you can actually call them and they will answer? Answer. I mean that that alone is insane. <laughs> I know. And it's sad that that's insane because you know, if I know you, I know your care, it's kind of crazy that, you know, you call to the office and you get the front desk and then you get the nurse and then, you know, a few hours later the doctor's on call and covering calls you back but doesn't know your story. Right. Instead, you know, that makes very divided care. So instead I'm trying to think outside the box and make it so that you know, my patients can really reach me. It's accessible, it's convenient, it's easy, and it leads to, I think, better care. Yeah, and, and I mean, one example I had, uh, we talked a little bit before we started recording, I, I have Meniere's disease in my left ear, and I, I was going to this uh, ENT guy, 
and I had questions, you know, and I had been to him a few times, and he prescribed this, and he prescribed that, and I had questions that I just wanted a quick answer on, nothing, nothing lengthy. Yeah. It was literally 30 seconds at the most, and really I wanted to ask him about Meniere's. I said, do you think it's possible I may have Meniere's? And I couldn't, I couldn't get through to the doctor, I, couldn't, I could not get past reception, <clears throat> and they said, well, we'll leave a message for the doctor, he'll call you back whenever he's available. Yeah. Like, well, what about if I'm not available? What if? What about if I'm in a meeting or I'm on a Zoom call or you know, whatever it is? I, is I just a quick question? And I started getting really aggravated because, and it's the way they all are. I mean, you know, most of them, most yeah. of the doctors I've ever dealt with, you can never talk to. Them. Why don't we set up an appointment for you to come in, and we'll charge you a copay, and then you know maybe you'll get some answers. And so it was very frustrating. So when I, I saw the, yeah, that's right. So when I saw you post that, I thought that was outstanding. So, so tell me a little bit about your background. Were you, were you born and raised in Glenrock? So I was born in California, and I moved here with my family when I was one. What, what part? Um, did, you, did you remember it? Did you love it? Um, I don't know. I was just a baby. What part of California? Um, in Walnut Creek. Oh, okay. Friends that, that were in Walnut Creek. And then I moved here when I was one years old, and actually my parents are still living in the same house on the boulevard that I grew up in. Boulevard, that's my favorite street in Glenrock is the boulevard. It's so awesome. Me they too. Have, they have a little river that goes into the little pond. Yeah, so actually growing up, I loved playing in the, in the uh, Diamond Brook Creek and going into the woods. It was right behind my house, so, you know, I'd so collect fun. salamanders and stones in my free time. Yeah. <laughs> You know, Glenrock's a great town. I love it. I still love it. Yeah, yeah. Which is why we're at Merv's right on uh, right on Rock Road. Exactly. And let me, let me tell you, as a side note, if you guys haven't been in here, you really need to check it out. They have they have a pretty pretty outstanding menu. They've got a lot of great treats, and their coffee is really good. So just a, a, a shout out to Merv and uh, and her place here. All right. So you moved. You moved. Did you did you guys move directly to Glenrock? Yes, we moved directly to Glenrock, wow. um, and then I went to. Bird School to the Glenrock Middle School and Glenrock High School, class of 2004. Yeah, shout out. You got your your, uh, reunions coming up. You got 20 year reunions coming up. Oh my gosh, I know. The 10 year just passed, it feels like. (laughs) (laughs) But here we are. It gets faster as you get older, I find. I think so. Yeah. So people are like, remember that happened a couple of years ago? And they're like, dude, that happened in 2010. Which doesn't seem that long ago. Right. Oh, right. That was 12 years ago. Yeah. Crazy. Anyway, so you graduated, you graduated Glenrock 2004. Yeah, so I graduated in 2004, and then I stayed local. I went to Ramapo College. Um, initially, I thought I was going to go into teaching, and then um, kind of partway through, um, had a mind shift and a career shift. I actually did a study abroad semester at sea. And what, what's, uh, what, what part of your sophomore year, junior year? Um, it was my second year there, okay. um, that spring of my second year. So I went on a ship, went around the world, um, and you then really we did? yeah, like, really? like for real, it took a hundred days around the world. Uh, and around the world in a hundred days, and we stopped in ten different countries, and then in the different countries, we got the chance to do volunteer work or go to the tourist sites, and you know, of course, I got to. For me, I wanted to do all the volunteer work because that's what I love doing. So I even got to go to like one of Mother Teresa's orphanages, which is so cool. Oh really? Where, did, um, where do you have? Was that did that run in your family? Do you have like relatives that do that kind of stuff? Yeah. Um, so my mom um, really got my sister and I involved in volunteer work from the start, and okay. it's addictive. You start helping people, and it's just that great feeling of being able to change somebody's life for the better or make a difference. So, yeah, ever 
I think the furthest back I could remember is kindergarten, like making little turkey hand cutouts, selling them for a few dollars, and then giving that money to a soup kitchen so people could Aww. eat. So it's, it's been in you. Yeah. Your mother instilled that in you. That's exactly. awesome. Well, um, shout out to your mom. Is she still definitely. alive? She's still oh, alive? she is. Well, she, what's her name? Nandy. Nandy? Yep, Nandy Fowles. Shout out to her. Shout out to you for, for, for training your children <laughs> right and getting Nicole on the path that she, or getting a... Uh, I keep wanting to say it, because I keep saying Nicole on, on Facebook, so I keep wanting to say that. And, and for yeah, getting your daughter on the on the path to, to doing what she's doing today, that's awesome. Yeah, my mom is a wonderful role model in yeah, that way. Great. So, yeah, from volunteering since I was little, and then, um, you know, as I got older through the Interact and through churches, um, you know, especially with Westside Church and... What's that in uh, Ridgewood? Mm-hmm, Ridgewood. Mm-hmm. That's that's where Virginia Lincoln is going to be doing. That's where the New Jersey Choral Society is doing uh, their concert. That's awesome. They have wonderful music. There. They have amazing. Amazing. Music. <laughs> yeah. So you know, shout out to to the NJCS. Yeah. Exactly. So, yeah. So you travel for a year yes, I traveled on, on a boat for, for a semester for half a year on Did the you boat. Journal like you um, have a journal about your I love adventure. it. Yeah. Um, and then after I came back, I was like, well, I don't think I want to go into teaching, but I definitely want to, you know, help people and be working with people. And so I went to the career counselor and they were like, how about medicine? So I started volunteering actually at Valley Hospital doing transport. This is while you, while you um, were at Ramapo. While I was at Ramapo, yep. And um, I really liked it. And I was like, you know what? I think I'm going to become a doctor. So I added on a so whole bunch of... you nursing. You went right to doctor. You're like, I went straight to doctor. I'm gonna go, if you're going to go big, go big or go home. I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah, so that's what I felt the most connected with. I felt like it was very intellectually challenging, which I loved, as well as, you know, you really got to work so directly with people. Um, and I loved it. So I um, added a whole bunch of sciences on top of the double major of math and sculpture. Um, <laughs> well, sculpture sure comes in handy fit. now, right? <laughs> um, it's not a hobby. so much. As a hobby, yeah. Um, but yeah, so then I went to New Jersey Med School, and there I was really honored to be part of the um, Humanism Center, where they have a strong focus on trying to look at patients not just as numbers and labs and reports and diseases, but instead look at them as people and see that human side of people. Yeah, I, um, I feel that's lost sometimes in medicine. It is. For hospitals, it becomes a numbers game, it's a business, yes. and you forget what you, why you went there to begin with. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and that's definitely what drew me to medicine was that human side, and I think it draws a lot of people to it, but unfortunately, I think along the you know crazy path, it sometimes gets lost or hidden or covered just with all the, you know, all this piled on. So all the insurances was, you have to deal with, and yes. all the other red tape, and all the other, mm-hmm. yeah, sure. exactly. You know it. You know. Yeah, it. Yeah. Um, so I tried. You know, I was really lucky and fortunate to be involved with the Humanism Center. Um, now tell me, tell me a little bit about that program. What's the Humanism yeah. Center? Yeah. So what they do, it's it's a center, and when I went through, they actually like did scholarships and had a couple fellows each year. Now. Um, now I think that scholarship is no longer part of it, but they still have a couple fellows each year, and they they do all sorts of programs that sort of encourage that humanistic side. So 
when I was there, I helped um, paint some murals, both, you know, with my art background. Uh, we painted murals in the pediatric did wing. Anybody here have an art background? And you're like, well, I, I do. Well, you could say, like, whatever volunteer project you wanted. You could start initiatives. So I was like, hey, I love art. Like, you know, so I actually, like, would sketch the murals up on the walls. So there was this um, procedure room where kids went. And it was kind of like this small closet. And, you know, it was terrifying for children to go in and need a shot or a catheter, you know, some sort of procedure. So they'd bring them in this room. And so we painted this, like, un beautiful underwater scene. And then the entrance to the hospital wing, we painted this jungle scene. And then there was a uh, women's shelter yeah, in Newark. And we were able to paint you know, an alphabet mural. So wow. for me, that's sort of how I, you know, kept going with the art scene, yeah, yeah, but also yeah, med school. And you worked with different people in the hospital with some of the patients. There was also programs where we would read books that were written by patients and talk about them. And actually, patients were involved in that too. So, you know, people from the community, doctors, med students, and we'd all read short stories and novels and... Literature that was done by patients about their experience, and there was a there's a wonderful program called All Ears, and basically for if there's notice that somebody in the hospital who's staying there for a long period of time, you know, who might be there a week or or a couple weeks, doesn't have any visitors, we get reached out to, and then we go and we just go in as a friend visit, so not going into you know, talk about your lab result and run off to the next patient, but just if you have a free moment, you drop in and you're like, hey bud, what's up? Like, you know, how's it going? Uh, yeah. And, you know, just be supportive as a human being to another human being. So those are some of the programs. And then there's more formal things, like there's talks and monthly meetings, but it basically encourages and supports that humanistic side kind of in a grassroots way. Right, yeah, I mean, that's the way, that's the way it should all be. All, yeah. all, I, I feel like that's the way medicine should be. Exactly. And I, I always felt like nurses were more in touch with that than doctors. Yeah. And maybe it's because they're just over the top busy, you know, they're just... I don't know why it is, but <laughs> it shouldn't be. It should be the whole team there it to support be. the person. It should be, yeah, absolutely. Um, and actually I'm really lucky because the, the center, I now get to be on their board of advisors. So they have a bunch of us who have gone through the program who now come back and help get to make suggestions. And I also, um, through through the Human Center, am able to go back to the med school and they're sponsoring me to um, teach hands-on um, cooking, like nutrition in medicine classes. Um, yeah, so I give a lecture on some health topic like, you know, neurocognition and food. And then um, we made a kale and salad. Doing that to students or yeah, doing with the students. Um, so that way they get to learn. So it's it's been a lot of fun. And what the Humanism Center does is pretty varied, but it's all it's all really cool. It's good work. I love that. It's just it's very personal. Yes. Um, all right. So so here you are now. You're experiencing all this, and you're really getting a, a good feel for what it's like to, you know, for that one-on-one -on -one and going out and helping people. And, and yeah. so when you graduate New Jersey... New Jersey Med School. Yeah, when you, when you graduate New Jersey Med School, what was your next step? So the next step for doctors is always to do residency. Okay. Um, yeah, explain that. Yeah. Because you always hear it, you see it on ER, and you see it on all the medical shows, but it's what does that mean exactly? So residency... Yeah. 
uh, derive the word because you reside in the hospital. So but you don't live there. You practically live there. <laughs> practically. Um, With all the hours you have to of, put in. Yeah, because of research is now, you're only technically allowed 80 hours a week. But 80 hours a week. 80 hours a week. Um, but usually you were there more. Um, is there more than 80 hours a week? I don't even know. Really? Technically there is more. But yeah, so basically you are, it's almost like apprenticeship is the best way to put it. Yeah, so you come out of med school, you are a doctor, um, but you do this apprenticeship you know, called the residency, and that's for three years. And basically and it has to be three years in the same hospital. Yes, um, or usually, typically. Um, sometimes, Which hospital did you reside in? So I was down in Somerville, New Jersey at Somerset Medical Center, and then they um, switched to um, Robert Wood when I was there. Okay. But, um, yeah, so that's where, that's where I was. And it was, you know, a small community hospital, which I really liked, and that's why I chose them out. Um, and there, you know, I got additional training, everything from pediatrics to geriatrics. And at, at that point, um, I got to deliver babies too, although now I don't get to do that part anymore. Wow. But, you know, a very classical training. Um, so now, do, the, do, do you have to experience every aspect of what's going on in the hospital as a doctor to understand all the different yeah. Departments, yeah. Yes. Um, Elder so, care, infant care, et cetera, et cetera. Exactly. So as family medicine, you kind of think of the small town doc who does a little bit of everything. Right. Um, so we would, you know, I do pediatrics and geriatrics and adult medicine. And, you know, so during the training, I would be in the, you know, outpatient office a fair amount of the time. But then you also rotate in the hospital both you know, for the general, you know, general uh, medical floors, but also, you know, to kind of have a deeper understanding. I'd rotate with surgery, I'd rotate in the ICU, I'd rotate, you know, in all the different places to understand them. So once you finished your residency, you said it was three years? Yep. Once you finished um, your residency, what, what was the next step for you? So the next step was, um, there were, it was I joined a practice, and it was a small physician-owned practice. Um, that was oh, like right, a little local neighborhoody kind of place? Exactly. Oh, nice. um, at that point, I was living in Somerville because I wanted to live at the same place I was working. And the um, practice was in Hillsborough. It was owned by the three docs, and two of the three had come and taught little bits at the residency. So I knew them. So they knew, knew them. me oh, really well. Nice. Um, and and right. please feel free to take a break and take a sip of your coffee. <laughs> and listen, Merce coffee is really good. So I, we're sitting here with two cups of coffee. I want to make sure it doesn't get too cold on you. Uh, it's delicious and still warm. And while you take while you take a sip, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna listen, guys. I'm gonna give you her website. It's called Oak Hills Medical, and it's O H M like medical. D is in David, P is in Peter, C is in Charlie.com. And that stands for Oak Hill Medical DPC. DPC is direct primary care, and that's the model that um, the practice is. Yeah, so we're, we're going to get to exactly what direct, I'm sure you guys can figure it out, direct primary care. Uh, but we're going to get to that. So so here you are now. You start out, you start out at the small little, was that mm -hmm. like, oh, my, this is it. This yeah. Is, yeah. Um, it was really great. And I enjoyed working there. Um, I enjoyed the other physicians and um, the physician assistants that I worked with. It was busy. Um, it was a busy office. And then... Um, I would say things, as as happened many places, things changed when COVID hit. And actually for us, two things happened.
happened at the same time. So start of 2020, the practice got bought out by a larger hospital system. Um, and in the meantime, while I was working there, I had moved up to Oakland, where I live now, so that I could be closer to home. Um, I have two little kids who are now seven and four, so shout out to them. Um, and so I was commuting about an hour rather than living exactly where I was working. Um, we got bought out by a hospital system, which is very typical. Which one? Um, Can you say? No. I mean, I could, but I'd rather. Uh, I'd right, rather right, not. That's, no, that's fine. Because I do see, like, I know, you know, you see. This doctor, a uh, Valley Hospitals, you know, yes. branch of Valley Hospital. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so that's what that's what's. It seems like that's been a trend. Like hospitals it's a buying huge up trend. these small little to become oh, health health network. Yes. Like Valley Health Network. Mm -hmm. Right. That kind of. Thing. And it was similar kind of concept. It wasn't Valley. They don't go down there. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's, but it was another, you know, large hospital system bought the small practice, and then within a couple months after the acquisition, which is always a big transition, um, do they try COVID to put you on their systems? And they do. Everything switches that. over, um, which is which fine. You expect. It's stressful. <laughs> yes. Um, so then, with COVID, you know, at first. Um, I was I was pulled to work in the tents in the respiratory center and all that and that part you know I felt I felt glad to be able to do that even though it you know was a community that was further away from mine you know at that point an hour and a half from where I lived um, just because the hospital was further than the office um, you know I felt I could, it made me think hey I really like and value practicing where where I live, you know, and being part of my own community rather than commuting. Um, so that was one thing that sort of stuck in my mind. And then, you know, I was happy to be a, be a help, be a service, to be able to, you know, work where needed, how needed during the pandemic. Um, you know, because I have a skill, I have training, and that's what I feel called to do. So... It was really once things started to transition back to the office that I started to feel, you know, unhappy about things and kind of frustrated that, you know, they, you know, it, it's a business, it's an office. So, you know, the typical kind of practice is you need to see X number of patients in a day and you need to build them a certain way and you try to, you know, make sure you're building for everything you're talking about, you know, which is a lot and there's tons of paperwork and, you know, it's just, it's, it's not the most friendly for honestly any anybody um, yeah for anybody you know, either for, side of it whether it's the yeah, physician or the patient on the physician side it was exhausting you know I'd see the patients and you're saying hey a quick question with the doctor sometimes I wouldn't get done doing patients charts until 2 a.m. and nobody wow. wants a call from their doc at 2 a.m. trust me nobody does <laughs> you know even if it's a quick question um, and you know and then on the patient side it's tough always having to, you know, come in, take a day off work with short staff, patients who are waiting there for hours, which, you know, happens everywhere. You know, I'd have patients tell me months later, I tried to get in touch with you and I got this whole, you know, run around and then I talked to somebody else and they didn't know. And it's not very patient friendly. And I was getting quite 
frustrated with kind of the red tape and what I was and wasn't the level of care that I was able to provide to patients just wasn't what I had anticipated. It felt like or it wanted. was separating you from the patient. Yes. It sounds like um, it's just creating a bigger and bigger wedge between you and the people you want to help. Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, and that too, and I'm very interested in, you know, lifestyle and especially culinary medicine. It's kind of my, my nerdy interest. I know. I want, I want um, to touch on that too and, a little bit. you know, it takes a while to talk uh, to people about their diet and how they're eating. You know, sometimes it's much faster to be like, here's a script and do some diet and, you know. Go to a gym. And if you're really pressed on time and you have 15-minute visit, how in-depth can you get into about these things, which really can make a huge difference in somebody's life. Well, plus the patient also feels rushed. Yeah. Like, you know, it's like, oh, you know, I just spent a copay and I'm not, I'm not getting what I I got 15 minutes of your time. Come on. Exactly. And sometimes even less. Less, I know. You know, and you've been reading. You're things. like, they come in, they give you, okay, let me, do, all right, sit tight. I'll be right back. And then you have three other rooms with patients in them. It's, yeah, it's hard. Exactly. Um, so, anyhow, um, at the same time, you know, trying to, you know, on a personal note, trying to juggle having, you know, a couple little kids and remote kindergarten and, oh. you know, um, also... <laughs> The grandparents, who are amazing, had been our our caregivers while I was working, but with me being in the respiratory center and around COVID and all that, I was like, well, no way do I want grandmas watching my kids. So, you know, my, my husband and I were kind of figuring out, but it was a struggle. So, you know, we talked and we were like, one of us has to leave to be home with the kids for a little bit. And I was like, well... I'm really unhappy, so that's going to be me. Um, so um, quite honestly, I almost left medicine for a little bit just because I was so burned out and frustrated. Um, once I, you know, I love being a mom. It's one of my favorite parts of my life. But when, you know, once I had a little bit more time to think and reflect on career and being a doctor, it really made me think a lot, think hard is there another way that I can be a doctor and deliver the care that's actually caring to people and that's convenient and that's accessible and that's good and not rushed and in a different way, you know? And I kept thinking back to the, you know, old school doctor, the way it used to be, who comes yeah, to your yeah. house. And I was like, you know what? Why can't I do that? Um, and so I I found this model that sort of supports it called direct primary care. So that's sort of how I had the structure based on it. And we can go into that more. Yeah. Um, yeah. How, how did you find that? Like, how did you know? Did you know that that was a thing? That that existed? Totally not. Um, you didn't, right? No, I was just... Like, does this even exist? So how did you find that? I was just sort of reading. You know, I still had one foot in some of the physician groups and with different doctor friends. So I read something about direct primary care. Um, and basically, really briefly, it's a model of healthcare where you... Where patients are working directly with their doctor. Um, and by that, I mean you, you cut out all the middlemen. So it's a membership-based model. Um, and so patients become a member of the practice. And as a member, they pay an enrollment fee and then a low monthly fee. Um, so just like you'd become a member of a gym or, you know, I would say Netflix, but now that's sort of out of favor. Um, you know, but same thing. It's sort of a monthly cost, which at first I was like, oh, that sounds terrible. But then the more I read about it, um, the more I realize what that actually does. 
because it you're not paying per sick visit I have an incentive to get you healthy, to keep you healthy, and then you right. see me less. To prevent and those visits. Yeah, and that's actually better for you, too, if I can make you healthier. Right. So a lot of direct primary care offices tend to be more focused on holistic care, on catching problems early rather than catching them late. Um, you also tend to have a very small panel because you're not paying for a billing department and for collection staff, and you can cut a lot of those things and run a very lean office very easily. Um, and so it's, you know, part of the drive and push is to make it affordable, um, to make it so that there's not the surprise bills of how much did that ER visit cost? I have no clue. Right. You know, instead exactly. it's just, hey, this is what it is. You can plan for it. I can plan for it. And we cannot think about that anymore. How can I help you? How do you need my help? And, and, and I love what you're saying. Is it's more, it's almost more preventative care. Like if someone says this has been happening, then absolutely. let's check it out. Let's let's try to change, tweak some things. You know, if you've been taking this medication, you know, you can you can have that conversation with them. Exactly. Um, and I can check in with them really easy, and they don't have to feel, you know, nervous. What's it going to cost to check in with my doctor? Right. They don't have to it's doctor not a Google every time you pick up the, right, yeah, right. You don't you know? have to become a YouTube physician. Exactly. Oh, my gosh. YouTube and Google. WebMD. <laughs> have, some, have some terrible advice. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and instead you can actually get your doctor who knows you, you know, for example, one of my patients has, you know, actually several of my patients have high cholesterol and sugar and, you know, um, hypertension and all these things. And the fact that I can, you know, really quickly send them an email once a week or once a month and be like, hey, just check it in, all okay, that's going to keep it on the forefront of their mind. And who does that? I mean, um, I don't know me. one doctor that ever <laughs> called me and said, how are you feeling? You yeah. know, after all the um, stuff that you went through, how do you feel? And actually, my EHR is great. Um, that means electronic health record. So I can actually put in automated messages to help remind me. So if it, you know, for example, yesterday I talked to somebody and she has a sinus infection. So I already have something set up to send her a text message in two days to be like, hey, you know, how's the medication working? How are you feeling? Are you going the right direction? And that way, if she's not... You know, then we can just switch what she's on and change things around really quickly and seamlessly before it's been a week or ten days. And right, then all of a sudden she has to go to the hospital. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So if you catch things earlier, it's better care. Um, as well as, of course, I you know I am a doctor. I do all the sick normal things too. So if you fall or have a rash, you know, if you have a rash, you just take a picture, and text it to me, and I'm like. Hey, what is this? You know, when you're right, running around doing, doing everything this. else, um, and maybe I'll pick up the, you know, maybe it'll be something I can just look at it and be like, "Yep, you touched poison ivy, and that looks like poison it's ivy. Here's what we need to do." Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, or maybe it's something that isn't so clear cut, and I give you a quick call, and you know, or maybe it's something, you know, that's a little more in depth, and I say, "Hey, I really need to take a listen to your lungs. Are you around? Can I swing by?" Well, and especially. Especially for the, the young moms, you know, the, the young children. Absolutely. Uh, when, because they come up with everything possible. <laughs> they, they contract everything, they bring everything home, and they get everything. But you don't ever know what that is, you know. You exactly. Know I mean? Like I'm having trouble breathing. You know, if you're if that's your first child, you're a young, you know, young mother, young father. It's like, oh no, we need to go to ER. 
Whereas exactly. they'd be able to call you and say, yes. my son just walked in, my daughter just walked in, she's you know, experiencing this, what do I do? What do I, I don't want to go to ER right now, what do I do? Is there something simple? And then you would even tell them if it's obviously having the experience, say, you know what, this sounds like something you need to get to ER. Exactly. Um, yes. I, you know, while I'm a doctor, I also am not in, you know, a hospital or emergency room. So if, you know, if someone called me and they're like, I'm having chest pain, you know, we quick talk through it. And I'm like, hey, I'm really concerned about a heart attack. I'm going to have them go to the ER. Right. You know? Get checked out. Um, yeah, get scanned and, and all that stuff. But my goal is to try to prevent ER visits, you know, and keep keep people healthier whenever I can and try to change that trajectory. Yeah, because it could be something they ate, could be something they drank. Exactly. You never know. Exactly. So tell me what, tell me about the culinary part of it. Yeah. Because that's a thing, right? It is. Culinary medicine. Culinary medicine. Yep, you got it right. Okay. (laughs) So, all right. So this is, my sister's like, this is your totally nerdy hobby. I'm like, yes, it is. (laughs) I love it. Um, So, what, how, what culinary medicine is, is it's basically trying to look at patients' diets and improve their diets to improve their health. Um, so it's kind of another tool in my tool bag. If, you know, if you came to me, we checked your labs and your, you know, cholesterol is creeping up, instead of jumping right to the statin, you know, we, which is the medication for cholesterol, we can say, hey, let's examine what you're eating, and let's see if we can change that and shift that. Well, I'm having and burgers for lunch. I'm having steak for dinner and eggs for breakfast. What's the problem? The standard American diet, <laughs> right. you know, which they actually call SAD, standard American diet. <laughs> sad. <laughs> and it's pretty sad. Um, so to try to talk about, you know, how can we incorporate more fruits and vegetables, and how can we increase fiber, and how can we switch things over, and, you know, if you don't know how to cook how do you actually do that how do you cut vegetables so another advantage of being able to come to your house if, if you don't know those things we can pull out a cutting board and, and, you and do that, I really? can do that with Look at you that. that is so um, cool you know for some that people is the nerdy part of you. <laughs> for some people you know they know how to you know do basic cooking and I can you know give them some recipes or some tips or say hey this is what you can bring in um, for other people you really need to start from square one but once they have those skills you know, the sky's the limit. Yeah. Um, and well, it can perfect shift example, things. Perfect example of that is, is my, my brother was, was overweight. Yeah. And started, son he has diabetes. Mm-hmm. Never had it. Didn't run in the family. We always thought my mother had it because she was also overweight and had all these you know, sores and things that were happening. Yeah. And, you know, he lost a lot of weight. He changed his diet and diabetes went away. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing how that happens. And, yes. and that's part of culinary medicine. I mean, it's, it's getting the right diet, eating the right eating the right things, getting the right amount of protein, less amount of sugars, and all that stuff. Exactly. Which most people don't, most people don't really have a clue about it. Exactly. And I think that there's, a lot of people do genuinely want to be healthier. Right. And they put in a lot of time, money, effort into sometimes good things, sometimes weird fad diets, sometimes, you know, some things that work, some things don't, but I think there is not that solid, good framework that's, you know, science-based, that has support behind it with an understanding of, you know, the human body and the diseases that you may have, and that's what culinary medicine is. It's for healthcare professionals to 
be able to talk about diet both you know from a nutritional standpoint as well as a very practical standpoint yeah I mean, it's, it's and you're willing to sit with them and, and, and go yeah. through a diet plan and say you know let's change this let's change that yeah and, and how many how many guys how many doctors do you know that would come over to your house and chop your onions for you <laughs> if that's what's making you cry <laughs> oh, I actually have to a, a really point. good technique for chopping oh, onions I do really? um, it was taught to me so actually with some of the um, culinary medicine classes they're taught by chefs and onions is one of the first things you're taught to cut like a one. professional chef so I actually nice. know how to cut it like a real chef <laughs> there you go alright um, so, and, and the other thing that I love is you know, I know a lot of doctors are prescription-centric, you know, so it's like, this yeah. bothers you, I'm going to give you this pill. Because yeah. even with my Meniere's, it was like all these different pills, and they're yeah. giving me a, a steroid, and then you know, I find out that if I take too many steroids, then this could happen, and then they give me this. So I, I love that you're looking at it from also a holistic approach, which, yes. which a lot of doctors don't do that. Yeah, um, and I think it's important. And for me, I don't want to vilify medications. You know, sometimes there's some amazing medications that can absolutely be really helpful and sometimes you need. So, but I think it shouldn't be a either or. It should be a both, you know, to try to get you healthier and get you better and yeah. keep like you said, better. If someone's, you know? if someone has high cholesterol, it's very manageable with food. Just that it, as it is manageable with medication, but you know some of those medications have side effects. So I love that you're, that you're looking at both sides of it, saying let's try this, and if this doesn't work after a week or two weeks, you know then we'll look at yeah. some other some other things. I keep being reminded one of my favorite patients, actually at my previous office. Um, he was my patient for you know all the years that I was there, and you know over the years his hypertension kept getting worse. His he developed diabetes. He was on um, his cholesterol was up. He had um, some anxiety and depression. So he was on a antidepressive medication, he was on three hypertension medications, and he was on a cholesterol medication. And then, you know, and I would plant seeds each time I saw him and say, hey, you know, diet and exercise is really going to change a lot of this, try thinking this, and just give him little tidbits, you know, that I could squeeze into the visit Nothing drastic. every every visit. And finally, he hit a point that he was like, okay, I'm ready to make some of the changes that you've talked about, you know, really? kind of things. So you know, it took several years of going, you know, of planting seeds. And within six months, he was down off two of the antihypertensives. So he went from three to only one. He went from a high dose to a low dose of the cholesterol medication. He was off the diabetes medication and off the antidepressant. Yeah, because and like, all those that's other things, amazing. Yeah, all of those other things are making you depressed. <laughs> yeah, um, as well as um, food can actually change. We never think of food and your mental change health your being related, yeah. but it actually goes hand in hand, and yeah. what you eat also affects your mental alcohol health. Alcohol too. Mood. Alcohol, for the mm-hmm. most part, is depressant. Yes. So you know, right, right there, it's like, and a lot of people are like, you know what? I had a terrible day. I need a drink. It's like it's only going to make it more terrible. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes I'm the no fun person to be like, okay, we should cut that down. But you know what? Even, even myself personally, when you know, I 
I grew up, my mom was always like, drink lots of milk and dairy and that's good for your bones, which, you know, in some ways it is, but it turns out I'm very lactose intolerant. And I never knew it wasn't normal for your stomach to hurt and to be really gassy. And, you know, right. I, I felt you terrible every day. That's the way it is. But that was my normal. And at first, when I decided to make some diet changes to, you know, eliminate dairy, it was really frustrating to be like, oh, I feel so deprived. I don't have this. I don't have that. But now I, I feel so much better and I have, you know, I'm not gassy and bloated and feeling miserable every day and I, you know, I have more energy and I feel less pain. And so for me, I look at the things with dairy and I'm like, it's not even worth it because, you know, it's not for, the repercussions. You know, yeah, for like benefit, you know, what's the benefit, what's the risk? For me, the balance doesn't weigh out. And I think when people do start to shift certain things of their diet, you know, you want those low-hanging fruits. The, I don't care about breakfast because I never, you know, I don't love my, you know, McMuffin anyway. So that's a low-hanging fruit for me. I'm going to change my breakfast and, you know, just mindlessly grab a thing of oatmeal with some berries on top because I can make that just as fast and I don't even think about it, right? So, like, different people, it's different things. Or I can cut the nighttime snacking or switch that over to something else, you know, and feel so much better and different. Well, listen, guys, I'm I'm sure you get the uh, impression that that Dr. Brianna knows what she's talking about. Again, she's the owner of Oak Hills Medical, and you can check her out online, OHM, Oak Hills Medical, DPC, directprimarycare.com. So it's OHMDPC.com. And she, she has her email address there. She has her phone number there. And it's not like you're going to be talking to somebody that's going to switch you over to another department that's eventually going to walk down the hall and see if she's available to talk to you. You call the number, she's going to answer the phone. So so tell us now, tell us, I know, I know they're... For better or so, worse, it's literally only me. Yeah, which is the way she... I think it's a good thing. You know, you call to talk to your doctor, you talk to your doctor. So if if people want more information about how to get involved, how to become a member, all that stuff, is there a phone number that they can call? Guys, get your pens and paper out. Is there a phone number? Definitely. So either they can go to the website and then schedule like a meet and greet at a time that's convenient for you. Um, So again, it's ohmdpc.com. Or if you do oakhillsmedical.com, that also directs you to the site. Uh, My phone number is 201-529-0515. And you can call me or text me. Or my email is bfowls, B-F-O-W-L-S, at ohmdpc.com. Now, guys, how many doctors do you know that are willing to give you their cell phone numbers? I don't know any. In fact, my cousin, may he rest in peace, was a doctor. I never had his cell phone. <laughs> he never, I never had his cell phone number. So here she is. She's willing to give your cell phone number out. Now, now let me ask you a question. So, so people that are listening, if they have questions, they can contact you. Absolutely. And if, if they're if they're interested in becoming members, I know you're talking about an enrollment fee. Is there something that, like a little discount, you might be able to offer them? I, I don't mean to put you on the spot, but is there something that you can offer them back to kind of encourage them to, to support their local doctor? <laughs> Of course. Um, so if they mention the Towncast, um, I could do a 10% discount on the enrollment fee. That's awesome. Um, Seriously? Yeah. That's awesome. So. That's great. So 
Listen, guys, she gave, I'm going to give you her cell phone number just in case you miss I'm going to give it again. And I'm keeping your card. Of course. Right, it's 201-529-0515. And it's her cell. So if you want to text her and say, listen, I, I want to set up a time to talk to you. I heard you on the Towncast. I'd love to talk to you, get more information. Go to her website. She gave you her email address. You can go to oakhillsmedical.com or ohmdpcdirectprimarycare.com. And I, I, I love what you're doing. I, I hope this is a trend. Is it, is it something that's trending? Is that, It is. I, is it really? Um, the direct primary care portion is definitely starting to be a little grassroots I, trend. Yeah, um, I, feel like, I feel like doctors, there, there are plenty of doctors that, that are like you and want that, yes. want to get back to why they went into practice to begin with. Exactly. And I feel like there's a need for it, as well as a lot of patients are looking for it, too. So, you know, I'm happy to see it's a trend. I'm glad to be kind of on it, because I really think it is allowing me to give better care. Yeah. Well, I know you got some, some positive comments on Facebook, and I know you've got some patients right here in Glen Rock and in the yes, local area. And she's willing to drive to your house. How about yeah. it? Just that alone is pretty amazing. <laughs> well, listen, Dr. Falls, I, I, I really appreciate you taking the time, sharing your story. And, Thanks so much, Bobby. Uh, I, I wish you all the success, and I really hope that this trend starts to, you know, starts to spread across the country because I, I think it's, I think it's something that. I know it's something that patients would love, and I feel yeah. like it's something that doctors really have a passion for, who have that humanism, you know, yes. built inside of them like you do, clearly, uh, and that it's really something that's going to take off. So thank you so much for coming on. Well, thanks so much for having me. I love the Towncast that you're doing, so uh, thanks so much for doing it. No, it's my pleasure. All right. Be well, everybody.